Welcome to the podcast that puts a finger on the pulse of medicine and technology. On this show, you'll hear from investors, industry executives, and healthcare providers on the science and business of medicine. I'm your host, Omar M. Khatib, and this is the State of MedTech. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. It's good to be back. I took a little bit of a break because uh, I'm very happy to announce uh, my wife and I welcomed our first baby into this world, a beautiful baby boy named Bearcon, uh, who's uh, really adorable and uh, cute and funny and smart and f- uh, thankfully also very, very healthy. Um, so it took a little time for that, but I'm back at it. And this week I got another great episode for you. And uh, it's my... Uh, honor and and pl- privilege to introduce to you my good friend Howard Rose. Howard Rose is somebody who I greatly admire, not only as a serial entrepreneur, but also as someone who is a true technologist and a futurist. Uh, Howard and I met many years ago. When I first moved out to Silicon Valley, I really didn't know anybody. And so Howard and I were connected through LinkedIn. He reached out and invited me invited me over. And at the time, he was living at the uh, with his wife, his wonderful wife, Elena, in the faculty quarters in Stanford University. And so we really hit it off on our interest in healthcare and technology. And so we spent a lot of summer nights in Stanford uh, just having having wine and talking about the future and, of course, playing with virtual reality. Um, so who is Howard? So uh, Howard is a pioneer in immersive virtual reality and augmented reality and experience reality. He's been doing this for over 30 years, um, and he has a, a, a doctorate in it. And, you know, he was involved in developing these types of technologies way before they were even known, right? So he's, he really is, a lot of people call themselves a pioneer. He is a true pioneer in this area. Um, He's founded various companies in it, more, most specifically uh, first-hand technologies. Um, and at first-hand, you know, him and his team created this extraordinary and uh, immersive experience uh, with a very positive impact, uh, specifically a VR application for healthcare uh, where people who are, who are undergoing, um, underwent trauma or let's say chemotherapy or, or are having a very difficult time recovering the hospital, they used the uh, first-hand virtual reality experience to help augment their pain. So rather than relying on opioids from pain management, they use virtual reality. I've personally used it. It is remarkable. And so what is he doing now? Well, and before I mention what he's doing now, if you're interested in this concept of virtual reality and immersive reality in healthcare, I highly recommend just uh, Google his name or go to YouTube and type in Howard Rose, and he has a couple of TED Talks that I, I really recommend you go watch. So what is he doing now? Well, now he is the head of health and wellness at a company called Spatial. And Spatial says that they are redefining the human experience by creating virtual soundscapes where you work, play, and live. And that's right. You heard that correctly. It is soundscapes, right? So led by an experienced uh, group of people from places like Apple, Nest, Dolby, LucasArts, and Disney, um, they developed uh, a technology to reimagine what the immersive experience would be like in sound. And so they focus on this. And if you think about it from a healthcare standpoint, how important is sound when it comes to, 
let's say you're a busy doctor and nurse and during the COVID pandemic, you needed a, you know, a place to kind of relax, you know, would it be more relaxing to be in a place where there's like nice music as if you're in the middle of nature or you just hear like traffic, right? Um, so take that even further. What about patients who are undergoing chemotherapy, right? So this is what uh, Spatial is doing and Howard has been tasked to lead their healthcare division. Um, so in this uh, episode, we cover uh, the interesting things they're doing at Spatial, uh, his thoughts on the future of healthcare and technology and many other things. So without further ado, here's our episode with my good friend and pal, Howard Rose. Enjoy. This is going to be the best podcast intro you're ever going to hear. You ready? You ready for this? I don't know if you're ready for this. I am so ready for this. All right, here we are. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Omar M. Khatib, your head of state for the state of MedTech. I'm joined by a dear friend, the first friend I ever made when I moved to Silicon Valley through the the magical world of the interwebs, specifically LinkedIn, and that's Howard Rose. Howard, how the hell are you, man? I'm so happy to be here. And yeah, it, it's amazing. I guess social media does really work. We've uh, struck up a friendship and we've we've stayed in contact. And look at us. Now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You came to my wedding. You know, our, our, our wives became very close. And um, yeah, it's just such a pleasure to have you on, especially you're somebody who I really respect a lot. Um, you know, what was interesting is that we connected with through LinkedIn five, six years ago. So I watched your TED Talks on VR and medicine. And so when I got to meet you, you know, at the time you and uh, you and Elena were living in Stanford, and I just remember like showing up in Stanford and walking around and, and, you know, us having wine at night, talking about technology in the future. So now we finally get to do that, you know, on a podcast. So it's gonna be fun. It's good. You got to bring your own wine. Uh... That's true. Bring your own wine. And for the physicians who are listening, um, again, I, I mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, but if you're new to this show, you know, this episode, you know, when you reflect on it, meaning you write a few key takeaways, that takeaway that you write down um, is actually eligible for a CME credit courtesy of CMFI. So make sure you check the links below. You can get a, a credit for reflecting on VR and medicine and then some of the other interesting things we're going to talk about with Howard. So Howard, for context, um, who are you? <laughs> tell us, tell us, tell us, tell the audience like a little bit about your background. Like where'd you grow up and like, how did you get into VR and what you're, you know, and we'll kind of transition into what you're doing at spatial, but let's, let's cover the VR part first. Sure. Well, uh, you know, I originally grew up on the East coast in Philadelphia and, um, I guess, you know, the, the, the salient thing is that I, um, I wasn't, I didn't love school. And I guess I figured if I knew education was interesting, I wanted to learn, but school never really grabbed me. So um, I'm really into experiential learning. And actually, one of my first really formative learning experiences, you see those little guitarists back there. Uh, in high school, I went to a guitar building school, uh, a guitar building program in Tennessee, and I built an acoustic guitar. And that was the first real learning experience I had in my life. You know, you, you do word problems at school and you do all that, you know, abstract thinking, which is great and important. But uh, if you're building something out of wood, if you're trying to put a neck on a guitar and make it straight and level and, and plumb and look nice, you know, you, 
you can't bullshit, right? It's either right. there yeah. or it isn't. It's not like you get half the answer, right? It either looks good, so, or it's right, or it isn't. So yeah, but you have a pretty impressive career. I mean, and especially even you know also academically. But I mean, is it fair to say that you weren't a good student in school, or you just you were good and you just didn't really you weren't really interested in it? No, I I, I grew up in a family that had high academic expectations, and I. You know, I've always been <laughs> that, engaged in learning, but uh, that is the understatement. That is the understatement well, uh, of well, all understatements. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but, very academically inclined family. But, uh, yeah, but but uh, you know, so I taking that forward, what I really love about VR is it is a, a medium for doing things. Right, you you are you can use it in so many ways. You can use it for. Uh, learning abstractions. You can create very abstract environments. You can uh, create very realistic environments and, and learn in that context. So, you know, the, the, my path to VR, uh, you know, I ended up at the University of Washington in graduate school at a, at a research lab called the Human Interface Technology Lab. Where, run by where'd Brunner. you go for undergrad? And it, where'd you go for undergrad? What'd you study? Uh, my, I was on the 10 year plan. Um, I went to Evergreen State College in, in Olympia, Washington. And uh, I studied video and education and music and a hodgepodge of things. And uh, I also lived in Japan for a long time. So I did a lot of, of my studies abroad. Um, but you know, when I came back, I, I went to grad school at UW and I ended up in this VR research lab, which was the coolest place on campus to be at the time. And I felt really lucky to be there, but I did my research in, in uh, using VR to teach language. Uh, so to teach Japanese actually, and uh, built this crazy thing back in the nineties called Zango Sayu, which is a, a game where you engage with objects and you learn and the objects can talk and you could point to a virtual object and say, what's that? And, uh, you know, it was a game that you could play either by yourself or with a computer or with another person. So, you know, I look at technology and VR as a way to enhance what we're, uh, what we're capable of, say in a classroom or in our house, uh, or really building something that is not possible in this world. Um, so yeah, I, I studied education. My my graduate degree is in educational technology, and uh, you know, back to that, I figured if 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 you know, it's if education is is like this, I can, even I can do it better. So uh, yeah, that's my interest in VR, and then I got into into uh, into health. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And, you know, uh, you know, much, much like, you know, I, I, uh, have a very close bond, uh, I, you know, with my father. And so my father being a surgeon, you know, I went to, you know, went to medical school for a little bit before deciding to go into technology. Um, I, it, I would, I would feel, uh, uh, badly if I didn't like touch upon it, but can you tell us like a little bit, a little bit about your, about your father? Uh, oh, one second here. I, I need light. All good. You can, you 
cut that out because I think this I'm is, definitely not cutting this out. This is this is the beauty of this po podcast: this is, uh, raw, real, unedited. See, and the benefit is that people people at home listening that they, they feel like they're hanging out with us. Am I am I washed out there? No, no, you look good. You look good. That needs so, to go on a T-shirt. <laughs> and uh, my dad was an enzymologist, um, and enzymologists are uh, interested in catalysts, interested in what causes reactions. Um, I never understood very much of what my father said, but uh, you know, I think um, the interesting thing there is that uh, you know so much in science. There was this big push for structures for um, like the genome project and, and to understand the structure of, of DNA, et cetera, uh, which is super important, but structure alone doesn't tell you anything. Structure just, it's, it, once you know the structure, you have to figure out what it does, right? It's not that it doesn't tell you anything, but it doesn't, uh, in and of itself, it doesn't tell you it anything useful you you just know where stuff is so uh by the way uh just real quick if you don't mind me interrupting uh try not to hit the desk because it sounds like you're playing bongo drums <laughs> i actually am playing bongo drums right now uh, <laughs> i knew this pod i knew this episode was going to be fantastic so okay yes you, you get the bongos for for free um <laughs> anyway the interesting thing there i know this is what you're asking but this is what i'm answering uh, is that, you know, the mechanics, I guess what I gleaned from that, from my father, the entomologist, is that, uh, you know, it's really about the action. It's the, it's the action. Uh, it's not the structure. It's what you hmm. do. And it's what things in nature do. It's what things in the cell do. And, and again, to draw a line back to to VR, it's really when I, you know, I'm a designer, right? That's what I love to do. Uh, I do the business and I do a lot of other things just because, because uh, I gotta. But, uh, you know, when you're designing something, you're designing an experience for people. And it, that experience is not the structure of the experience. The experience is the, the opportunities that you create within the spaces that you create. Um, and, uh, and so I, th I think that's, uh, that's one lesson I've, I've sort of carried forward and thought about. Interesting. What, you know, so you're both your parents are biochemists, um, academically inclined family. Um, yet you did not go into academia per se. You did not go into biochemistry. You went and, you know, you had this interest in making guitars. You're on a 10 year plan. And then you end up at the, at, at, is it Washington University or University of Washington? University of Washington, Seattle. Got the it. real UW. Oof. Not, All the WashU people got pissed. Well, or, or the University of Wisconsin. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm, not getting, I'm not getting into that turf war. I, I do not have a pony in that race. So, so, so in grad school, what'd you do? And, and this is, and just, again, just because, because again, VR, we hear about VR uh, quite often these days, but VR wasn't exactly a thing 
10 no. years ago, 20 years ago. So we're talking about in, in the uh, 80s, 90s, when you were in, you were in grad school? Yeah, I'm that old. Um, so... <laughs> I wasn't trying to date you. But well, my point is that uh, like... No, yeah. You're, I've, I've been at you're, it's... VR for about 30 years. So... Why, uh... what, gra what got you to gravitate towards it? Like what... Because again, wasn't a thing back then, right? So how was, did you? How was, did this happen? You know, it it really is the belief that um, you learn by doing. I mean, that, that that sounds trite, and a lot of people talk about it. But in in education, in edu speak, it's called constructivism, and that we construct knowledge based on our prior knowledge and we put things into context and we have schemas that that help us you know uh make the the complex procedures in our lives automated and and uh you know you have to learning has to fit into our context and and it's constructed it's not a bunch of facts that we absorb so that that's really my bent and that's actually why i started talking about guitars because guitars are to me are the epitome of um of really confronting a legitimate authentic problem and having to work a solution and so most most education doesn't do that it just falls flat you're doing something abstract you're doing something irrelevant. You're doing something that you're told is, is, you know, useful. It's not really until grad school that you actually get to choose what you're doing and, and stop worrying about the next step. Like I'm here, yeah. I'm, I'm doing it. So what was exciting about the hit lab in the nineties was, uh, so the hit lab was one of the premier VR research places in the United States. What does that stand for, Hit Lab? Human Interface Technology Lab. So uh, the Hit Lab at the University of Washington, uh, founded by Tom Furness, um, and I worked with uh, a professor, my my ed tech professor Bill Wynn, who was great at uh, giving me an opportunity to to explore my own research. And we were doing outreach into schools and teaching kids to build virtual worlds. And really it was a very open field. Um, still is, uh, but it was rough and rugged and nothing existed and you had to hack everything together and the stuff didn't work and everything was an adventure. Uh, but what was exciting to me was, um, you know, I still remember the first time I put on a headset and I sat at a computer and I programmed this little thing where it was basically tennis and I had two little paddles mm -hmm. and one was here and one was way over there. And I had a little, I had a little ball. And when I touched this, this orb over here, the ball flew over there. And when I touched this one, the ball flew back. I, it was, but simple, but it was, uh, it's, it was powerful enough for me to remember it. And, uh, I guess what, what really attracted me to make it a career 
was the opportunity to bring that paradigm of real-time computing into a lot of different contexts. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a jack of many trades, but uh, I think that that's, VR is malleable. It can do absolutely anything. Um, and the challenge is to figure out what's worth doing. Interesting. Interesting. By the way, um, I just learned this the other day, uh, but you know that saying, uh, jack of all trades, master of none? I do. Did you know that that's the incomplete quote? Uh, no. Yeah, I did not either. So the, the full quote is actually, jack of all trades, master of none, better to be many than a master of only one. Well, let's just, we should just wrap up right there. I feel very right, thank you. Th yeah, thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. That's the end, end of the episode, end of the podcast. I think we, I think we got it. We're, that's it. We're done. That's <laughs> number so, the ultimate. So it's, it, it sounds like your, your original interest was around, you know, why things are the way they are, and more specifically, uh, a focus on education. And VR just seems to be more, it, it seemed like it was just like the best vehicle to solve that problem. Is Am I, am I off on saying that? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a technologist for technology's sake. I'm very much an outcome-focused person. Uh, I don't, if it was sock puppets that got you there, I'd be doing sock puppets. <laughs> What do you think um, about people? I mean, you're you're based in Silicon Valley. You're surrounded by people who are just technologists for technology's sake. I mean, which which you you must have an opinion about that. Me, an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Um, you know, I'm not going to call anybody out, but I think that in the field of VR. There's, you know, it, everybody's on their own journey, right? It, I don't own the technology. It's not my thing. You know, I, I, I try to push it in a direction that I think has integrity. Um, just as re relevant to health, because that's kind of where we're going with this conversation, I see a lot of companies that put on their website or wherever, on their branding, Based in science, based in neuroscience. This solution. Yeah, every, everybody, and, everybody's based in science. <laughs> and you look, and it ain't there. They have no. A lot of them don't have a single paper that they cite. There is no evidence. Uh, I've seen a lot of places where they've cited work that I've been involved in. Uh, you know, <laughs> that must I be a trip. Them cite my work is their evidence, but. Uh, you know, I think it, it is incumbent upon the VR community to to do this right. And mm -hmm. it irks me that, you know, if you, if you want to just do entertainment, cool. But when you start going out and saying evidence-based, science-based uh, works, you know, works for X, Y, and Z, and you don't share the evidence it makes kind of makes all of us look bad. So yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree. And look, that's, that's kind of where I was going with this. Again, 
I have no problem. People can be tech, you know, into technology for technology's sake. That's fine. I have no problem with that. The problem that I have is mainly in our world, which is healthcare. Um, because, you know, I don't think sometimes people, I think sometimes people think about like, oh, healthcare is so screwed up. If I come up with this, I can make a lot of money. Right. And they don't take into account more often. They say they do, but a lot of times they don't take into account like, okay, we're going to come up with this technology that's going to be applied for, let's say this surgical procedure, and it's going to make this, this difference, right? That's going to be X percent better. Is that really, is it, is it worth it? Even if it makes it like incrementally better, is it worth the cost? Is it worth what it's going to do? And I don't think a lot of people put that, take that into account. And so a lot of times I see like for me personally, like I made this decision a few years ago, which was I kind of stopped being interested to go work for a cool tech company that's raised a lot of money. If all their tech's going to do is just like add more cost to the healthcare system and like, you know, change, change a workflow and make it like what, like incrementally better. I'm just not interested in that anymore. You know, I feel like VR and AI have become like, uh, like, the like a like a kind of like a circus like kind of like oh look we got vr oh look, we have ai and it's like what are you talking about yeah well um a lot of those words ar vr xr mixed reality whatever um you know what what do they mean so uh i'll, I'll give you my definition so so first of all vr the definition that I use is a it's a computer generated experience that convinces fools your senses into believing the experience is real. It evokes the sensation that it's real. And that is not you know, there's no technology, there's no like headset or projection or this or hololens or whatever. It's it that's a paradigm. And when you try to apply that paradigm to create virtual worlds, how do I leverage it? Because I need to understand my user. I need to really, mm -hmm. I mean, all of this stuff is trite. A lot of people talk about it, but they don't take the time to do it. Um, mm -hmm. So in education or health, I'm taking them from somewhere to someplace that I hope they will go. And, you know, how do I, what what is the anatomy of that experience what is the how does that experience work how do i construct the affordances and leave the space for somebody to do the meaningful work mm -hmm. um and you know when we when we design virtual worlds when i design a virtual world the first place i start is not with the technology but i'm like looking at the person going okay i need to understand who they are it's like designing any other product, you know, uh, but but a lot of times the technology kind of, you know, when you get to that technology layer, you're going to have to make compromises because mm -hmm. the technology is never going to do exactly what you want. So you got to start with a malleable plan. But the more you can understand the people at the outset and really understand what your methodology is, what the mechanism of action is that you're going for, you can make intelligence decisions down the road. But if you don't start with that and you come across a, a technological block, something breaks, something doesn't work, something costs too much, all the other stuff that anybody who's done a project has run into, 
you don't know, you, you have no guideposts. You can't make a good choice. So read the papers. Uh, you know, I, I try to keep up with the literature as much as I can. And, and uh, but it, it's time consuming. And if you don't have a background in it, it's, you know, it can feel like a wall that's too high to climb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was going to say, you know, um, cause I do want to touch on it, you know, uh, you know, the company that you had founded, um, uh, first hand technologies, which is a VR, uh, company that was focused in healthcare, um, had a really fantastic, uh, solution, uh, specifically for those like in the world of pain. And I got, I, I got the chance to actually use it, uh, many years ago. It was, it was unbelievable, but can you tell us a little bit about like that solution? Like what motivated you to look into that and how is that applied? Like in hospitals? Sure. Uh, so First Hand is a partnership that I did for many years with Ari Hollander. Uh, we both came out of the Hit Lab and uh, we're working with uh, Hunter Hoffman, Dave Patterson, Tom Furness, a group that was doing burn patient uh, care with, uh, with Snow World. And we worked on Snow World for about 15 years. Uh, and what is Snow World? Snow World is an application. It's kind of the iconic VR uh, health application. So it was designed to use for burn patients going through through debriding or bandage changing or wound care. And it was used as a as a medium to try to reduce the amount of opioids that they needed. So they were immersed in, in VR in a helmet as they went through their debriding, bandage changing um, procedures. And the findings, this is widely reported in, in many journal articles, and you can see it at uh, peer-reviewed articles and lots of studies. And, and one of the things we looked at was using the pain effect, what if we change you know, the field of view? What does that, what does that do to the pain effect? How, how does the changing immersion uh, affect the analgesia, or how does uh, taking away the navigation or the self-control or the self, the sense of self-efficacy and agency, uh, how does that impact it? So doing a lot of incremental studies, looking at uh, changing the temperatures. The snow world is a very cold environment. What if we make it hot? What does that do? Uh, how does that change? How do the graphics and the visuals uh, change the perception of, of uh, the pain and the pain relief. So, what did you guys uh, find like when you made those changes? Well, the many successive studies. Uh, so, essentially, field of view is impacts uh, immersion. So, it, it kind of starts around someplace between sixty and eighty degrees. So, if you're below sixty degrees of field of view, you're not really getting an immersive experience in the VR sense. Um, and wider is better up to a certain point. Headsets now kind of hover around 100 something. Um, and the visuals are much better and they're smaller and lighter. And uh, the smaller field of view things are, are kind of a thing of the past. But basically, as an, it, what is interesting and, and relevant for people even today is that immersion and field of view are just one measure. But if you're doing something 
uh, small, focused, tactile. You know, it, think think about real life. We're sitting in a room. You're working on. You're fixing a watch, and that watch is only this big. But you are so focused on it and immersed in that. In the real world, you're fixing a real watch. You know, your the rest of the world kind of disappears, right? And you just get sucked into it. So, likewise, if you're doing something very focused, that the field of view out there becomes less relevant. But generally, walking around in a virtual world, architectural or just you know, moving through a virtual space, a field of view of 110 degrees is going to give you a general more of a feeling that you are there, that you are physically immersed in that space and give you mm-hmm. a sense of presence that you're there. Interesting. So that's, that's one of the findings, you know, temperature. I could go on all day, but um, the, the you know, outcome, and we're going to get mm-hmm. to healthcare if it kills both of us. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the outcome is, A, the, the pain relief, the analgesia from VR has been proven over and over and over again in many different contexts with many different procedures and many different populations where, you know, if you build it right, you can get virtually, virtually no sim sickness, no headache, no nausea, no simulator sickness. Um, And, but, but it needs to respect the sensory system. You, Mm. you know, our senses are extremely, are extremely, uh, sensitive to disturbances. So mm. if you build the, a virtual world kindly to people, they can, they can be in there for a long time. Uh, they can get a real benefit and burn patients, uh, pain relief, acute and chronic pain was a primary focus of firsthand for many years. Interesting. You know, this one thing that I'm, you know, I think with uh, the dig- the digital world, if you look like social media and everything, there's like a lot of good ways it's used, a lot of bad ways. It's it's really just the tool, you know, it's and how you use it. Something that fascinates me about VR is that you know, um, there's this uh, book by Maxwell Maltz uh, from like 50 years ago called Psycho Cybernetics about um, psycho being psychology, cybernetics kind of like a helmsman steering a ship. And uh, he's, a, he's a surgeon who did plastic surgery and realized like when he helped a patient change their face, like they, they changed a lot of things in their lives. And his thing was, there's very little difference between when you experience something just in your mind by itself versus experiencing it in reality. And there's a lot of, I mean, again, a lot of studies that show this, that the value of um, how you sort of form your perceptions, you know, really alters the way that you're going to um, see things, obviously, um, feel, feel about things. And then the way you take action on things. And I think like, that's kind of like one of the um, values of VR is that most people, they don't have, let's say the mental, the mental ability or the mindfulness training and everything to try and visualize something, right? Like, for example, if you're trying to rehabilitate yourself to picture yourself walking again, but I feel like VR could be one of those mediums where in training the mind every single day, you know, that, that helps like the actual person, like in real life, rehabilitate themselves or even like put themselves in a situation where they can start visualizing themselves, accomplishing things. Would you agree with that statement? 
Sure, I, I believe, and I, I have seen that VR can really transform people. We can, we've seen people stop using opioids. Uh, High-risk patients who've been using opioids for years finally get off of it. Um, That's because you're it, you're you're giving them the the sen- the the sort of sen- what their senses need. You're you're essentially supplementing that with something that's just as strong as an opioid, but it's not. It's a virtual experience. Well, it works very differently than an opioid, right? An opioid mm-hmm. opioids don't actually make you better. They bond to your receptors, so you don't feel pain, but they don't actually improve anything, right? Mm. And in fact, they can increase pain. There's all sorts of, you know, the addiction is one obvious thing. But but just taking opioids uh, and doing nothing is not going to, is not a recipe for success for many people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a spiral. So I think VR, the mechanisms for VR in in that kind of healthcare environment, in that kind of therapy environment, where you're trying to reduce pain, you're trying to activate people. Um, I I think that that uh, so I think about you know sort of five layers of, of VR superpowers. The first is immersion, and when you're immersed, when you feel that sense that you are that the that the world disappears, the, the, you know, the world in, in quotes, like it, mm-hmm. the, the, the real world disappears and then you are, you are fully engaged in that environment. That's sort of table stakes. That's the land of, of in a simplistic sense, that's the land of, of distraction. Distraction works for short amounts of time, but you can't distract people um, forever. Uh, so immersion is the start. The second one is it, it's a, a psychophysical experience. So the feeling of motion, the, the, the action, uh, the, the, the feeling like in, in our application and first hands application, cool, you go over a waterfall. And when you go over the waterfall, you, you get a sense that, that you're uh, really moving, that feeling. Of yeah, motion. I remember that. So that psychophysical that. experience, interaction is another one. So interaction plays a really important role because you're not just a passive viewer. Even if you are just watching, you know that you can do something. You know that you can affect the world. The world responds to you. It knows where you are. Um, so uh, it's a reciprocal thing. So that's three. The cognitive, uh, the cognitive ability, the ability to create experiences, um, in a simplistic word, puzzles, you know, things to do, things that engage you, things where you're cognitively engaged about what is coming next. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, how is that relevant to me? Um, coaching, uh, using lots of techniques that really are, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, um, kinds of approaches within VR. And the last one is emotion, that it is ultimately an emotional experience. And people are driven by story. People, uh, facts are wonderful, but give me a good story. So uh, story is what really changes people. And I think 
getting back to your question about why does it work? Why, why, why does VR help people get off of opioids? Um, awesome question. <laughs> but I think, I think it's, you know, we could talk on that one for a long time, but simplistically sort of to cut to the chase, I think number one, you're, you're giving people an out of body experience. You are, it's, uh, we're screwing with their body map. If, if I go through life feeling like my neck hurts and I don't want to move it. And all of a sudden I've got a headset and I'm doing this and I'm looking around, I, I've disrupted that sort of uh, self-limiting feeling and self-limiting behavior uh, using VR. So you can screw with that body map, you can change the experience, you can build interactions that are engaging. And I think the key is really engagement and then emotion is giving people hope, giving, mm. showing people that they have a range of motion, that they don't need their drugs, maybe as much as they thought, giving them hope about, uh, you know, harnessing their own internal capacity. Uh, I think of it as, you know, mind over molecule. We're not putting mm. a molecule, a drug into your system, but we are tapping into your innate capacity to be healthy and to be active and engaged. And who doesn't want that? I completely agree. And I think again, like uh, for me, that's like the big power of VR is, and I, I like that actually, I'm going to, I'm going to have to uh, TM that from you is that the mind over molecule, which is um, how do you get people to really tap into their minds to really access you know, these things that are there for like 24 seven, I, I interviewed, um, Jeffrey Moore, uh, the, the other day, who's the famous author of crossing the chasm and all those books in Silicon Valley. He he wrote a new book uh, called the infinite staircase about the metaphysical world. And his, you know, he's been into transcendental, uh, meditation for 15 years. And he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, there's so many things about the mind that we're not aware of. And these things are on demand 24 seven. You just, whenever you want, you, you have to, you can access this, but most people don't know how to, and I think VR shortcuts their way to start being able to do that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think VR does it. I think well-built VR can do that. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, that's. I, and I, I, you know, I think that there is a tendency to overgeneralize. Not I, this is not about you, but I think that that when we talk about technologies like VR, that um, most people, most people, uh, mo most people by now have had at least some kind of VR experience, at least in the United States, have had something. Um, but not all VR is created equally. But, but it's not created equal and it's not, uh, I mean, it's like saying I like movies, uh, or are movies good? Um, some movies are good. Some movies are terrible. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. So, so I, you know, and that's not a, a comment on what you said, but I think it just brings up for me that it's very important to me that people. It's like a well-made guitar, right? Develop, develop some some media literacy, some some yeah. literacy about it, VR, and it's complicated, but it's also can be simple. And so I'm always looking for these models that I can share with people that, oh, okay, I get it. I start to understand how to deconstruct a VR experience. 
Got it. Now, um, just shifting a little bit, you know, I want to kind of talk about like where you're at now, because again, you, you're somebody who's a pioneer in VR, you spent the last 30 years in it. So tell us about the place you're at now, because it's, uh, it's fascinating. I checked out the website and some of the videos are there, a very impressive team, but tell, tell us about, tell us about the company that you're at now. Sure. Uh, I'm excited to do that. So, um, I am. How excited are you to do that? I really? am really excited. Actually, the, that's legitimate. I think that, you know, back in the in the day, in the at the Hit Lab and the university, it was very. It was really exciting. It was like I could. I spent all my time there, and it was just there was so much, so much interesting possibility, and I joined a company called Spatial. Uh, the website is spatialinc.com. And I'll leave that in the show notes. I am the head of health and wellness for Spatial. Spatial is an immersive 3D uh, audio platform for creating sound, uh, sound experience, sound-based experiences in any kind of context. So uh, you have a set of speakers that can be in a room, it can be in a stadium, it can be in a theme park, it can be in a hospital, uh, it can be in a treatment room, uh, it can be virtually any size. And it is powered by, uh, the platform is called uh, Studio, Spatial Studio, and it creates a virtual environment that runs, it's a VR simulation that runs the audio. So this is real time audio and uh, there are objects, uh, you know, so uh, we create soundscapes. So if you have one, one uh, very uh, useful thing is for uh, naturalistic soundscapes to humanize health environments. Um, and so you can create a, a scene, a forest, you have trees, they can react to physics, they can react to wind. Uh, you have uh, bird objects that fly around. They can be on spline paths and have behaviors. So this whole simulation, uh, you can build a you know a, a, a little river, and you can put that river any place you want. And you this uh, environment, this this real time environment, can be played out on on any kind of system. So the the spatial um, uh, platform, part of it is the intelligence to take immersive sound and play it uh, in, in your room, and then you can take it and play it in a large space, and, and it will work pretty well. Um, That's so fascinating. The interesting and by the way, thing, I got okay, to yeah. give a shout out. Yeah, I got to give a shout out. Uh, oh. uh, uh, because, you know, again, I, I recommend people go and look at the website, especially if you're a marketer, because both on mobile and the and on desktop, the website is just in, really impressive and I'm, I'm in marketing. So that takes a lot for me to say that, you know, it says reinventing sound at the beginning. Um, but just, uh, just go look at the B roll that's on the website. It's just fascinating. And then, you know, so I just had to, I had to, I had to point that out. I really want to encourage people to go check out spatial dot, uh, spatial inc.com. And it is impressive. Sorry, Howard, please well, continue. Thank you. No, no, I, I coming from you. That is high praise. Uh, so anyway, the, the, the technology itself is a virtual environment that can be played out on 
speakers. Um, and also there's, uh, so the, there's a lot of potential to, to do other things like AR and there's some future things coming down the pike. But what, what this does in terms of, uh, you know, talking about therapy and talking about health applications and how it can change health um, is that it makes sound, uh, it makes sound very uh, useful and uh, so let me put it this way, that modern medicine requires sort of three things. Uh, it needs to be precise. We're into the, the realm of precision medicine and it needs to be standardized. So a doctor needs to know what they're prescribing and how it's pretty much gonna work. And then the last thing is it needs to be personalized because we're in mm -hmm. the, the, the era of personalized medicine and with digital health, it's even more personalizable. So when you think about music or you think about, you know, music therapy has been around for literally thousands of years. Um, we all know intuitively that music is powerful. It's, it, it changes our attitudes, it changes our mood, it changes our physiology. I don't think we need to even discuss that because everybody I know listens to music. If you're sad, you listen to music. It might be, it might be sad music, it might be happy music, but, and yours might be different than mine, but we all know that music has a really profound effect on our, on our mind and body. So what spatial brings is the ability to control that in a way that has never been possible before. So because it's run by a virtual simulation, and the quality of the sound is like amazing. The quality of the sound how, is really how is that amazing. done, by the way? Because like How's that's what? I think like when a lot. Well, so the the idea that a technology company that's just purely focused on sound, right? What makes it different than let's say? I, I see. I don't even know what to compare it to. This is this is what what's fascinating to me again. I think truly, I think the most um, impactful technologies out there are something that's so new, so different that it cannot be compared to anything. And of course that that's, you know, we're getting into the realm of like creating a new category, right? Changing how people look at certain things. Yeah, it, it actually, I, I think it is a new, a really new uh, area. Sound, you know, George Lucas is famous for saying that sound is more than 50% of the movie. Um, yeah. And, and, and it's really, we, we don't, it's kind of an, we don't appreciate what I was gonna say. We don't appreciate it's, it's kind of like when it's not, it's when it's bad, you'll notice it, but when it's good and amazing, like you don't appreciate how important that is. I mean, look at Alfred Hitchcock, how he used, um, you know, certain, certain sounds and music to kind of like get the audience on edge for his movies. Or if you look at like what James Cameron's, you know, some James Cameron's movies and stuff like sound is just, it's so important, but we, I think we, we take it for granted. And, and I think part of it is that we've surrounded with so many like bad audio experiences that we don't know how bad it is until we're in a really good one. And we say, wow, there's, there's like, there's like, it's like night and day. It is very much, as you say, I think we, 
Well, in, in movies are a great example, and that's probably the place where it's been um, analyzed the most. You know, you mm. can have a picture of a person standing in an empty field, and if the the music's happy, then we get a certain mood. And if the music's kind of ominous, then you're like, wait, what? what's going on? So uh, that is used very, uh, it's highly controlled by the mm -hmm. filmmaker. Right. In live uh, sound, and in, so say I want to do uh, music therapy. So I create a, um, uh, I create a, uh, virtual environment, a, 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 a plat, a, um, a spatial soundscape. Uh, so let me, let me give you an example. Sorry about that. Um, no, that's okay. So, so we're working with a spatial is working with a hospital system in Atlanta called Wellstar and Wellstar, like every other hospital is facing a lot of strain and stress for the frontline health workers. And uh, they're responding by creating wellness rooms that have massage chairs and places where the, the workers, where the nurses and the doctors can go to decompress. Um, in these uh, wellness rooms, there are spatial setups. So, uh, we've also created environments where they can, uh, you know, sound environments where they can feel like they are transported to another place. So, uh, and you don't, they where, don't put headphones. They, they just literally walk into the place and right. So got it. Yeah. So to explain, you're not wearing anything. The speakers are in the space, uh, a lot of times they can be hidden and completely invisible. They can be put into walls and you don't even know that they're there. Just the sound is happening. But uh, and you can use any kind of conventional speaker. Uh, That's what I was going to ask. So like the, the technology that you guys focus on, your proprietary, your IP is focused on the audio, the sound. It's not necessarily the speaker. So is there is there like a you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Selfishly, I'm hoping, is there a world in the, you know, in the, in the very near future where me as a consumer, I buy, you know, two or three, you know, two, three, $400 speakers from Best Buy or something. I set up my office. And then as a consumer, I go and I pay a subscription or, or pay something to download Spatial's audio experience so I can have it for my, like, at-home environment. Because a lot of people are working from home. And one thing I've noticed is... You know, I've gotten used to it. I like it, but it's still very difficult emotionally because you're not in, you're not engaging with human beings and everything. So, like getting out and walking around is so important. But I feel like the at home environment can really be enhanced for especially a lot of people in technology that are now working from home. You know? Yeah. So, I'm essentially trying to get you to tell me if you guys are releasing products for consumers in the very near future and and sign uh, me up to be a beta user. It is definitely on the roadmap, <laughs> and it is coming. I think right now. So. Let me let me let me start from uh, give you a, a sort of a clear explanation of of what spatial is and how it works, so that people can understand. And then I'm going to talk about. Then we can talk about how it's used in therapy and 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 how it can really, I think, transform a lot of the health spaces that we have that are not very mm -hmm. healthy. So uh, to run a system, 
you have a small computer. Everything runs on uh, Apple computers. So it like a little Mac mini, and then you have a little amplifier and you can have as many speakers as you want. You can have, uh, in, in my office here, I have 10 and a subwoofer. You can have that, you can have less, you can have more uh, installations up to 300, 400 speakers or more. Uh, and they can be over a large area. So if you have an indoor or an outdoor space, you can have spaces within the whole site. So here's an example. If you have a, uh, a museum and the lobby of the museum has one sort of set of ambient sounds, and when you walk up to an exhibit, the, uh, there's a sensor that knows that, that you're there or a camera, uh, and it can respond to you in real time. So it can give you uh, the sound for the exhibit that you're looking at, even though the rest of the, of the room is hearing the same sort of ambient sound. So there are a site, and then you have spaces within the site, which you can determine. So in a clinical environment, that could be a lobby, a hotel, uh, excuse me, a hospital lobby, and then spaces within that that get different kinds of, of sound treatments. Um, and, and there's lots more that can be done. But uh, it can respond in real time to, because it's a computer, it can respond in real time to sensors, physical sensors, biosensors, camera input, uh, input from other systems. Uh, it can be used with virtual environments. Um, if you're doing location-based entertainment and running around with, in a headset doing, you know, like, uh, like the void or something like that, you could enhance that whole thing with, with uh, spatial audio. So uh, the hardware you need to run it is a computer uh, that can be off in a closet somewhere. It doesn't even need a monitor on it when it runs and uh, an amp to distribute the speakers, uh, and then speakers that are set ar around the room. And then you map the space. If it's a large space, we use LiDAR to, uh, to map that space. And once you map the space, then you can do a whole bunch of interesting things with it, which I can talk about later. But it's all controlled uh, through an application on your phone. So, uh, so everything is designed to be very, um, you know, very controllable. You can change the soundscapes. You can uh, adjust, make adjustments to it in certain ways. But uh, right now, it, it requires an installation. The first focus is is uh, lots of the the uses that I've mentioned, either in in entertainment or in hospitality, or people. A few people are having it in their homes, but these are very high end high-end homes. Uh, and then uh, my job, my focus is bringing it to hospitals and clinics and things. So the Wellstar example with the recovery rooms, uh, you know, using it as a way for people to reduce their stress, uh, really change their attitude, hopefully make them, uh, you know, reduce some of the, the uh, you know, a lot of people are leaving. A lot of people are quitting. So we want to we want to retain staff and, and reduce stress for them. So that's the Wellstar project. And we're also working with Wellstar on a few other areas, more in the therapeutic 
realm or changing, as I said, humanizing these health spaces. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, we, we had mentioned this uh, before, but one, one thing that comes to mind just because I had spent some time there uh, uh, during grad school was like at places like MD Anderson, um, where you have people who are, you know, have, you know, people who are going through uh, chemotherapy and having to stay there for like, you know, weeks and months at a time and everything, you know, um, you know, that uh, I always, you know, and that's, that was my initial uh, interest, I guess, when you and I met when it came to VR now, very much on the audio side as well, which is, you know, for people who are, the people who are staying in the hospital the longest are the ones who are the most, you know, um, prone to getting worse. They're the sickest, they're the most uh, critic critically ill. And so optimizing that environment in the hospital so that you can, you know, help that person use their own mind and body to put it in a better position to heal. I mean, I just feel that the outcomes could be just so much better, not just even for the patient, but even on this case that you mentioned, like if, if you even make a small improvement in the ability for the healthcare uh, frontliners to manage, let's say their stress and everything, you know, that's going to translate into better patient care. That's going to, you know, that'll translate into a lot of things. I think there's a lot of things that we cannot track, but you don't need a, you don't need a study to know that like, if you have stressed out frontline workers, either they're going to quit, which, you know, has a, a string of, of events that happens, you know, after that, that affect the patient, or if they don't quit, they're stressed out, they're not going to make the best decisions. They're, you know, you know, it's, it's an experience, right? It's not enough just to have like treatments and procedures in the hospital. Like there's a whole experience for the patient that has to be there. Otherwise the act of healing is just that much more difficult. Yeah. I think there's a tremendous amount of stress, even, you know, pre COVID, uh, for frontline health workers. Um, and the reality of the situation for patients, I, I had a doctor tell me that, you know, uh, who, an ICU physician who told me that, you know, that if you were a healthy person and you were put in a bed in an ICU unit and subjected to that environment and all the bongs and the noises and the alarms and the stress, mm -hmm. by the end of the day, you would have dementia too, or you would have, Oh, totally. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, not yet. Um, no, no, but so, you, you're absolutely so I right. Think, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I mean, having spent, uh, in my previous, uh, device compared a patrol, like we focus on the critical care unit. And so when we're designing our monitor, you know, a lot of it was like, okay, we need to have alerts set up, but then it's like, well, there's like, 20 different things in the ICU that go off at, at a variety of times. Like if you're a patient, you're ill, like, and you're trying to rest, like if something went off like once an hour, that, that would, that would screw with my ability to just like relax. And I mean, things are going off like every five or 10 minutes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So th this leads to ICU delirium and delirium is, you know, a, it's not just limited to the ICU, and it can actually have an impact uh, statistically on one-year mortality, especially for elderly mm. people. So if you have delirium and it is not treated, that there's a, an increased risk that in a year you are going to die. 
So a significant increase. Um, but I think that just typifies that that's a, the, the most extreme example, but most health environments are just not very healthy. Uh, they, you know, the, the, the stresses come in many forms, but I think one of the cool things about, about spatial is that it can be very subtle. It does not, it's not, um, it doesn't have to be even, you know, you don't even have to attend to it. So the interesting thing about, about our hearing is that, uh, so if you compare vision to hearing, hearing is about four times as fast. So when you, uh, our ears, we cannot shut them off. They're on all the time. And because, and, and hearing, of course, it, it needs to be that fast because it, it does a lot of important things for us. It, it, of course, makes us aware of danger and all of that. And, but it also helps us uh, locate sounds. So the difference between one ear and the other, the, the motion of our head um, changes uh, our, we, that's how we understand how, how far and the direction of a sound. Uh, so the, the, our ears are always attending to the world. And what that means is that they hear a lot of stuff, but they filter it out. They filter, otherwise we'd, we'd go crazy, right? Right. So, the, this is the way our brains work. We 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 have extremely sophisticated filters, uh, but you know it's the cocktail party uh, effect. So if you're in a crowded a crowded cocktail party and everybody's talking and somebody over across the room says your name, you will hear, you you will yeah you will attend to that. So we're attending to a lot of things that we that you know we we are subconsciously attending to a lot of things in our environment that are not actually getting our full attention. So when you're in these health environments, you walk into a hospital, what do you hear? What do you feel? What, what's, the, what's the sound of that place? Anybody who's spent a lot of time in hospitals knows that it's not a very healthy, it's not a healthy environment. There, there's, there's a lot going on, they're noisy, they're disruptive, they're not, natural they're not they're not even like your home right forget about being out in the woods they're not they're not they're not comfortable and so they're not comfortable for the patients and they're not comfortable for the the staff for the for the, the health workers so humanizing those spaces changing the sound in very subtle ways can have a big impact um and uh you know one one of the fun little demos that that spatial does is uh you know they'll have people into our conference room and there's a an environment called rainy cabin which you're in a you feel like you're in a rainy cabin uh, but it's very subtle and people come in and you have the discussion then you turn it off and when you turn it off you realize how just empty that whole sound that the, the sound of the space is and when you can when you can mellow people out when you can change change that that the temperature in the room in that sense you know you can potentially reduce aggression you can reduce uh anxiety 
uh, you can reduce a lot of the kinds of behaviors that we uh, we want to try to inhibit uh, in the workplace. So there's lots of potential for changing both wellness and health. And uh, you know, I can talk to some of the therapy applications as well. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I was going to say, you know, uh, I appreciate like spending this this time with us and everything. But yeah, let's let's go a little bit. I was going to say for the, especially for the physicians listening. Uh, but first, I need to do a gut check with you. How are you on time right now? Hey, you got me. Um, if people are listening, uh, I I am so happy to share. Um, yeah, let's one, let's talk a little uh, bit about the therapies. Yeah. Oh, so, you were going to say the one thing. What what I was going to say was, and I would like to talk about the therapies and and uh, share some of that. But I think you know, I think this is relevant. You know, if you're listening and you're a doctor uh, or you're a technology developer or you have a, a kind of a, a, for some reason, a space, you're doing palliative care, you're, you're actually caring for people at home, uh, you know, think about, think about the, the sound in the space that you're in right now and how that could be enhanced and how... Uh, it, it's very difficult to talk about spatial. You really need to hear it. Uh, and when you hear it, you hear the difference. Um, so to share a personal experience, my, my sister, Sarah, had Hodgkin's disease, Hodgkin's lymphoma, and she did a uh, T-cell replacement, bone marrow transplant, uh, many years ago. Um, and she was in an isolation room for a month. And in that case, they give you, they basically give you six months of chemotherapy in a couple of days and it destroys your immune system. And then you, you wait and hope your immune system recovers before something comes in and kills you. So she was in this room and uh, 24 seven, she was listening to chanting. Uh, and uh, and just how uplifting that was for her. And I spent some time in, in, in that hospital with her. And uh, she had that running 24-7. And I think that's a great example of, uh, you know, it didn't sound wonderful. It was on a cheap little speaker. But it's a, it talks to the power of the, the potential. Um, what... VR and, and spatial bring is that feeling of being transported out of your physical space. So it's it, getting back to that, that definition. It's a computer, virtual reality is a computer generated experience that evokes the sensation the experience is real. So when the sound is realistic and it's all around you and it is spatial, it's spatialized, you you're not just listening to a thing. You feel like you are there. And when you close mm -hmm. your eyes, you feel like you're transported into that space. And that transportive element can be used in, in a lot of therapeutic environments. The controllability of the virtual environment and the response to biosensors, so I can create a closed loop biofeedback system 
that responsiveness can also be used for therapy. And we can gather data, we can track you, we can use those biosensors to try to, to hone and personalize the therapy so that you can, you can what you were doing yesterday uh, is not a limit. Now we can try new things for you today based on, on what you've achieved. So these, cap these capabilities, again, we need precision, we need standardization, and we need personalization. And that has never been possible with sound before. That's amazing. Yeah, and I think what's really exciting, again, um, this is a little bit of a departure from like uh, sort of a scientific and medical discussion, but these are, these are the kind of things that you can't exactly run a study on this. But, you know, one thing that I've just realized is and it's made me have more an appreciation for the First Amendment in this country, which is the freedom of speech, is that in order to really think, like, you have to speak. And so a lot of times, like, we don't watch the words that we're using. And, and I became more hyper aware of this over the years. And so when I look back in my, in my past, the times that I, uh, let's say, struggled with something, I failed, you know, bad things happened, I was speaking and using the wrong words. And those are the things that I was hearing. And of course, because I'm, you know, whoever I'm engaging with, like they're, they're saying those things back. And, you know, the dumbest thing I think people can do these days is like get in the car and turn on the radio to something random and just sort of let like whatever random song comes on, because that's, a, that has such a strong effect on you because it's, it's going to generate images in your mind. And those images that you have in your mind, you're going to put energy and focus on them. You're going to take action in some way. You know, and so I think like this concept of when you walk into a room, just like we would never think of having a, you know, let's say a baby's room or uh, our, our home living room or something where the walls are empty. Like we would feel like we're like, what the hell is this? Like there's there's no life in this room. But I think because we've never thought about sound in that's in that aspect once, you know, and this is what's exciting about space is that once people get. Once they get, I was going to say, fit on with a new pair of glasses, they'll never see the world again. I guess when they're actually fit with a new set of ears, you, you, you think about, you'll think about that everywhere you go, you know? And I think that's, what's really exciting is that, again, this has never been possible before. And now that it is, what's exciting is to see like, what kind of outcomes are we going to see? Even if it's something as simple as like uplifting somebody's mood, right? which I think people take for granted. I mean, you know, there's that old saying, uh, not an old saying, but like, I don't know, some video clip, it shows like some kid at school being bullied. And then like um, one of the kids across the locker, like, you know, like smiles at the kid and that like changes that person's day and kind of like uplifts them. You know, and I, I feel like sound is, is definitely got to ha have that much more impact because it's, 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 as you said, it's like four times faster for us. It's a lot more primitive. It's a lot more primal. You know, yeah the the emotional lift is really important. I think uh, I think when people think of music, that's kind of probably the first thing that they think of. They think of emotional lift. Uh, there are other things we can do that you know are related to an emotional lift, like you know stress reduction, like these uh, these wellness rooms at Wellstar. Uh, really targeted things for anxiety, depression, uh, social But that's isolation. different though, right? What? I, I don't, I mean, I mean, interrupted. that this is, this is different. That's why I'm, 
I'm really interested in that if you think of a movie or a song, the emotional inflections are intentionally there versus if you walk into a room and it's a rainy cabin, it's kind of like the ultimate experience when it comes to mindfulness, which is I know what I'm supposed to feel, but it's it's not giving me exact like a very you know a specific direction. You know, it's almost like it kind of un unfolds on its own. Right. You know, like if you if you're listening to like seascape, you know, like you know the sounds of the ocean, like I don't you know think like oh I'm going to start relaxing, but put me in an environment like that for five or ten fifteen minutes, I feel differently. I think this is the reason why like you know. Why do people like to go and have dinner close to the ocean, even when they can't sometimes see, they don't have a perfect view of the ocean? It's the sound of it, right? Right. I, you know, we started talking about virtual environments. And I think, uh, you know, a headset experience, VR works because it is, it works at a pre-conscious level. So that sense of immersion, that sense that you are in that place, it just happens. It doesn't require any thinking. It doesn't require any cognition. It, we just get that sense because it's so matched to our senses, right? If, if VR required, if a headset required actual cognitive effort, it wouldn't work. VR just wouldn't work. Um, spatial is kind of the same. And what's cool about it is that you don't it just it's just there you don't uh these these things i mean you you kind of have to experience it in order to really understand it but but when you go into a room that is where the sound is transformed you just it's like the the water the fish swims in you just mm -hmm. go there and mm. that's it that's the it it does some of the heavy lifting and then once we uh, so so there's a kind of a base of what you can do where we're changing the environment we're taking away we can do some masking we can use sound so if in an icu we can use sound that responds to uh you know take take a waterfall a waterfall is is good at masking certain sounds, um, but mm. you wouldn't want you wouldn't want to be sitting under a cascade twenty four seven, right? That's Definitely not. not yeah, but so the dynamic nature of spatial means that it can listen and respond. For example, um, so sound masking is another whole area that is is really important. A lot of people suffer from trigger sounds that will cause yeah. them to be angry, that will cause them, you know, emotional distress. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of ways that emotion uh, can be therapeutic. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you know, now that you mention it, I mean, this is something that I've dealt with all my life, but like, um, I don't have any ticking clocks in my house. Can't have it. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's very uh, aggravating for me. Like for most other people it's fine, but like, it, it literally is like water. I go when I go to a hotel room, they have that on. Like I'll I'll rip the I'll rip the clock <laughs> off the wall and take out the batteries because I'm just, like I can't, you know, just can't I can't deal with it. You know? Uh, yeah, I know. It it is it it's a great example of how we, you know, we even small things can have a big effect. Tick tick 
tick. I mean, some people can just block it out, but it yeah, all drives I'm, me nuts. I can block out a lot of things. My <laughs> my my all the years of meditation I've done, I I cannot. I don't have the mindfulness to block that out. Other thing is like I cannot sit at a table while other people are eating, and I'm not eating because hearing other people eat, like I just can't. I just can't do it. I've never, I've never said that publicly. <laughs> this is the, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> offer you a sandwich first. Um, oh man, yeah. So, so, so that that first set of things that we've talked about is these emotional. I kind of group them under an emotional lift. That's you know, uh, depression, anxiety. Uh, you know, dealing with uh, with fear. A lot of people have fear when they come into the hospital system, uh, social mm -hmm. isolation, uh, you know, in those clean rooms, it's extremely isolating for cancer patients, uh, infusion, dialysis, a lot of places where we are just kind of helpless and stuck. Uh, another area, which is kind of uh, a little more of a, of, uh, more towards the therapy side, uh, so for sensory and cognitive processing disorders, so we're talking about people, uh, a lot of kids, um, ADD, ADHD, autism spectrum, you know, other kinds of cognitive and sensory processing disorders that, that where people get overwhelmed. People have a hard time uh, filtering out. They get the multi-sensory experiences become overwhelming. Uh, they'll either retreat or get angry. There's a, a, a lot of issues there. Um, and these are pretty prevalent for, especially for kids, but uh, adults have these issues too. So uh, occupational therapists, for example, use uh, different kinds of multi-sensory gyms or different uh, kinds of therapeutic environments that use sound and physical motion uh, or uh, get people engaged, get them climbing and, and actually kind of physically active and exercising. Um, and doing that as a way to control and, and to learn the skills of how to do, you know, how to filter and also how to uh, gain some inhibition control and different kinds of things. So uh, imagine applying that in a digital sense where we can have mm. a space that the speakers are, uh, or the space is mapped, and we can we can use camera systems and physical tracking systems to move sounds around to to basically create a sound gym, where sound mm. and physical motion and coaching and cognitive behavioral therapy and other kinds of interventions combine and can be used and be very versatile and replicable and have all the advantages of VR that we were talking about. So uh, dealing with phobias, dealing with, you know, interventions, triggers, that kind of thing. Uh, delirium, dementia, uh, those, those sorts of therapies. Interesting. Just out of curiosity, you know, your, your work with Wellstar, will you be able to, um, will you be like publishing a case study or some, a video or anything in the, in the near future, kind of showing what that experience is like? So I'm sure a lot of, a lot of, you know, we do have hospital administrators and, and execs who, who follow this, this, this show. And I'm wondering, you know, 
Yeah, so I guess my message to hospital administrators and people who are in the healthcare world, uh, you know, I've, I've seen that most hospital systems have some sort of digital innovation or innovation arm. Um, a lot of times they are really forward thinking and amazing. Uh, the, the, the medical simulation people, uh, that's an area that I've worked in too and, and talked to people uh, in that, uh, you know, in medical schools and, and, you know, teaching hospitals and things like that. They really have their finger on the pulse of, of technology and, and the problems. Um, you know, innovation labs, sim labs, uh, but there's a huge gap. There's typically mm. a giant gap between those, what, what is happening there, the innovation in these kind of uh, incubators, if you want to call them that, and, and getting it into practice. And, yeah. uh, and I think that, so what is really exciting about Wellstar, and I've come to, to learn this by working with them, is that, uh, so Wellstar is a, is a hospital system of, you know, they have, I believe, 17 hospitals and they have 300 clinics. They're based in Atlanta. They're geographically all around the Atlanta area. Um, so it's a good sized system that has a lot of complexity and a, and a broad, diverse uh, patient population. Uh, and it's big enough, but it's small enough to be responsive and, and really to make change. It, the bigger the system gets, the harder, <laughs> the more the inertia, right? Uh, and the VA sort of typifies that, right? It's the, it's the most extreme example, the largest health system in the world. So, uh, but Wellstar is really interested in how, uh, I think every health system had, shares, shares the desire to change and transform and innovate because they see, number one, we, we can't, uh, you know, we can't just keep doing what we've been doing. When you look at the health economics of the baby boomers, the, the, the large population that is aging and is going to very soon be needing lots of services. And, and today hospitals are down. A quarter of the hospitals are, are massively short staffed due to COVID. So, uh, but leave that aside, even before COVID, this was a looming problem. Yeah, it was still a problem. Yeah. yeah, so we need to do something different. And I think everybody looks at digital like it's the panacea. Um, but I think what, what is really we're moving towards is, is moving towards uh, trying to change these spaces, maybe make them smaller. The large hospital model is transforming mm -hmm. into smaller uh, regional neighborhood hospitals or clinics. Uh, so moving people out, the hospital, that industrial hospital is really the most expensive environment to run. And, and well, not, a, not, not a really good one either. Right, and Wellstar is actually, they're, they're, I think, very much ahead of the game in this. They're trying to create, they have created what are called health parks that are inside parks, of of sort of retail-ish spaces, hotels and all kinds of, you know, malls and things like that, that are very accessible, that don't feel like you're walking into a hospital, but you 
can go and get all of the the basic services and some you know even uh, even outpatient surgeries and things like that. So I think the model is changing. It's it's moving to a much more human scaled kind of environment. And in that environment, the you know what is going to excel the places that are appealing um, that make us feel comfortable that reduce stress, that, uh, you know, reduce stress for the workers, those are all, you know, going to be really successful. And if we can deliver new mm -hmm. kinds of therapy that maybe people can take home and to answer your question that you asked before, but I will, I, I think I answered it, but yes, right now we're focused on the clinical environment. Very much that transition in healthcare is moving from, you know, Get them out of the ER, get them into the office, get them out of the office, get, you know, help treat them in a small clinic or at home, ultimately. Mm -hmm. So we want to push care down to the lowest cost kind of environment. And digital and VR are really, uh, you know, sound, visuals, headsets, uh, digital, uh, you know, smart kinds of devices in your home. Uh, can really go a long way to to help that transition and make it meaningful and effective and measurable. Yeah, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that one one mainly because of the pandemic. I mean, we saw the like boom in like digital mental health. So like you know, with me and friends and family, like whether we need to see a therapist or psychiatrist, like it's it was it's so much better just to do it digitally. Um, but then also, I mean, end of the year. Uh, we were all surprised by the fact that Oracle and Larry Ellison made the biggest acquisition in their history, which was in healthcare and acquiring Cerner. And so seeing that um, there's going to be this opportunity to do more things at smaller, more localized uh, venues from like big hospital to an ASC to a small, you know, small outpatient uh, clinic to a office to home. You know, I think these options are going to be better because, you know, Aside from the fact that it's a lot cheaper, but I think quality is just so much better. Um, Howard, we've been. This is. I want to keep. I want to keep rolling, but I know that we have to be mindful of your time. This last segment, we just do these quick, rapid-fire questions. Go. You can take as long as you want to answer them, or as short as you want, and we'll move to the next one. There's like three or four of them. Okay. Okay. Perfect. All right. So during the pandemic, and you know, 2020 to 2021. Um, we've all Amazon primed a lot of things, you know, we bought a lot of like stuff. I built like a garage gym and ordered a bunch of books. What's the, what's the coolest thing that you bought, uh, for under 200 bucks? The coolest thing that I bought for under $200. It could be a gadget. It could be a book. It could be anything. Wow. During the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Um, what about last year? Last year, uh, under two hundred dollars. Uh, I'm glad of all the questions I've asked you. This is the one that stumped you. This is this stumps <laughs> me. Uh, you know, it's funny because I I live in. I've got so much technology around here, but I don't I don't know what that is. You know, it'd probably be something musical. Uh, okay. If you're under $200, it might be a tuner. 
Like I actually, there's some, there's some amazing music. I'm really into recording right now. And, uh, Mm. uh, probably, I mean, it might, it might be in the area of some of these plugins for, for using audio, uh, which are, it's just an incredible world of, uh, you know, where sound has gone and where home, home recording has gone. And that's actually helped me oh, survive. Yeah. That has actually helped me survive COVID. It's playing music and just maintaining that as a part of my life and, and my health. But uh, probably the coolest things that I've seen are and, and I, that I've acquired are in the software realm, uh, plugins that do these amazing musical things that are uh, you know, a little esoteric, but that's probably it. Got it. Very cool. Okay. So next, next question to you is that, uh, like in healthcare, you know, in a lot of industries, but especially, I think this is something that's very specific to medicine. Uh, continuing education is, is, a, is a big thing. Um, and so, uh, most physicians, if not all of them, they're all very well read outside of their specialty and, you know, different things, hobbies, etc. Um, you know, you can pick one or one or the other, you can pick like in your career in life or just in the last few months, but is there a book that you feel that you you've gifted and recommended most often? And, and, and if so, what is that book and why? Uh, I'm into this book, deep survival, um, which had kind of an impact on me. So deep survival uh, grapples with the question, why do some people who are lost in the wilderness survive and other people die? Mm. And oh, uh, it I'm, looks I'm at a whole bunch that of right different. Now. What? I'm buying that right now. It 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 looks at a whole bunch of different examples of. It's not always the people that you would expect to survive, like you, somebody who is very fit and you know athletic, and they get lost and they die. And then Mm -hmm. the, you know, some young teenager who crashes in a plane and walks out, you know, an an insane distance without shoes and, you know, with no food and survives. Hmm. So what is it about people, both sort of internally, spiritually, uh, that helps them, you know, that that serves them well? what mistakes do we make when we're out in the wilderness? And one, and the first thing is, you know, panic, uh, but there's a lot more to it. And then, you know, what, what do you do? What do you do if you're, if you're in that situation? So deep survival, it's a really cool book. Uh, and it really goes into that and, and, and gives a lot of examples about people who have, done really kind some people do some really dumb stuff and end up dying from it interesting some people die not any of their own fault but some people you know hubris hubris Mm. plays a big role so anyway that's that's one i would recommend i i'll i'm i'm putting these in the show notes i was gonna say i feel like a good uh companion to that uh because it's similar and more on the psychological side is uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. You know, who, you know Victor Frankl was a, yeah, Holocaust survival was, was in Auschwitz and he wrote wrote about like, why is it that like 
people who are like big and strong and fit, they, they never survive, but the people who you don't think would survive, they would, you know, and all again, kind of the theme of our conversation here is like, you know, how do you, how do you prime and guide what you have within your own body and your mind to, you know, better outcomes? Um, all right. Last question for you. So I want you to pretend, uh, that for the next year, um, cause again, uh, Part of this is a medical show. The other side of it is a tech innovator show. Let's let's just say, you know, entrepreneurs in the healthcare space, um, they, you know, on the way to work, let's say I take out a billboard across all the U.S. This is a billboard that every entrepreneur sees going into work. And then for, for those who are, who are at home, there's a, a notification that comes up on the phone um, that they're going to see this message every day for a whole year. What message do you put on that billboard and notification? Uh, that is an interesting question. If I could, if I could send a message to everybody in the United States, um, maybe it's going to be okay. Uh, I, th <laughs> I think, I, I mean, you've, you've putting self-interest aside, you know, advertising my product because I, I, I think what really we're suffering from obviously is this is this lack of of a shared sense of of uh of society and mm -hmm. that we we can't even agree on facts we can't agree on whether a vaccine is good for you or not um and i don't know what the magic bullet is I really don't. I think that that I would try to figure out something that that really addresses that. Uh, but you know, I I think I it's going to be okay if too. It about, if it was about VR and that kind of thing, I think you know, I I would want people to understand and give them links to something that will help them to to make sense of the digital future. Because I mm -hmm. think that that most people. Most, there's a lot of people who are engaged with it. There's a lot of people who just hope it never comes. And there's a whole bunch of people who are just too busy to even pay attention. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, I know I wouldn't make this the, the message, it is coming, <laughs> but that's not gonna, that's not gonna be a winner. But uh, <laughs> I think, I think something that encouraged encourages people and gives them some some sense that you know people look at ai and vr and i think there's a real dystopian kind of ring to a lot of it mm -hmm. uh, so um you know don't panic is probably part of the message <laughs> but i think the 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 uh the key to not panicking is to really build your literacy uh, about, you know, learn, let's learn about how these digital things are going to change society and ourselves. And it would be something along those lines. And I, I, I don't have the great slogan, uh, you know, no, that's what, no, no, that's, that's how I, I would go. 
Got it. But no, that's not what it's about. And I think that's, I think that's a fair, it's a fair message and a good one, which is it's going to be okay. And I think a lot of times, uh, we get kind of sucked into what's going on on social media and the news and everything and realizing that like things sometimes they're not as bad as they seem and that, um, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm, I'm, I'm on, I'm on team human, you know? And I think, I think there's there that everything is going to be okay. And I think in many ways we haven't realized it yet, but you know, what we've went through in the pandemic is really ushering in a golden age, uh, in like, you know, in history, in terms of what we're going to be capable of doing in, in technology and healthcare, um, the way we look at our lives, you know, I think it was a big wake up call for how we look at our health, you know? So I think it's going to be more, yeah, I think it's going to be okay. I think it'd be more than okay. Um, I like that message. Howard Rose, uh, where can people find you online? Well, uh, so uh, as I said, spatialinc.com is where you can find more about the company. Uh, and just to put a plug in, there is an early access program. So if people want to try Spatial, they can try it for free. Uh, there's a form there on the website where you can, uh, if you're a creator, you can you can download it. It's free to use uh, uh, in a non-commercial setting. Uh, so oh, nice. you know, so you can learn and get get a chance to do that. Uh, I am on LinkedIn, and will include the you know my I also tweet. I'm HR for VR at uh, at Twitter and uh, at Instagram. So uh, we'll we'll include the links and. Uh, and thank you, Omar. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And uh, I'm looking forward to that glass of wine. Oh, absolutely. I can't wait, man. It's been way too long. Thank All right, you. everyone. Thank you so much. Howard Rose, everybody. If you're a physician or healthcare provider listening to us again, check the links below. Um, you know, with your reflection through CMFI, you will get um, an AMA PRA uh credit one. It's one of those things, but essentially you will get a CME credit for your reflection uh, through CMFI. So check the links below. I'm your host, Omar M. Khatib. This is another episode of The State of MedTech. We will see you all next time. Bye for now. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of The State of MedTech. I'm your host, Omar M. Khatib. Do us a favor. If you like this episode, share with somebody and go ahead on Apple and Spotify, wherever you are, leave a five-star review. Type a few nice notes about us. This is how we get other people to find the show. Thank you. and We'll see you next time. 